I was telling my wife what we were going to talk about today. She said, man, last week you talked all about the hope of heaven. Now we're talking all about the end of the world. Yes, we are. So get ready. Um, but it is just not right to call it the end of the world. Um, we've been talking about it in our house this week. And the more we talked about the end of the world, the more we realized that that's just not the right phrase to use to talk about it. Um, if you're talking about the end of famine and war and earthquakes and corruption and pain, yes, it is the end of the world. But it's not the end of our world. It's just the beginning. Um, it, it's funny, we, we have been so hammered with movies and TV and we even, I'm not judging them, I don't know what they're doing, there's guys down on a street corner with a cross, you know, and a sign. And, and I thought, as I saw him from a distance, I thought, man, if that guy's sign says the end is near, I'm going to have to bring him to Westminster because he's just like the perfect visual prop, you know, of that's what we think, the end is near, you know, run for your lives, citizens. And uh, so as we're talking about it, Gracie starts crying, and she's scared. And we kind of realized that if the end of the world, as we have what we call it, right, is anything at all, if we, when we really talk about what it really is, it should make a 12-year-old girl just about as gleeful and happy as can be. It should not be something that you cry about, right? It should not be something that, that a 7-year-old says, Daddy, quit talking because I'm scared, right? It should be awesome. Um, it should be kind of like when there's a bullied kid and the bullies are on that kid and the kid's dad shows up. Or even better, more accurately, his older brother shows up. My 96-year-old grandma, her nickname's Cork, and there's a boy in their neighborhood that would call her Corky, like Dorky Corky or something like that. And she told her brother. And my grandma is like so naive, and she's just like just the perfect grandma, and she's like, and, and I don't know what happened, but I told him about that, and they never called me that again. <laughs> like, she didn't put together. There, there were some threats thrown down, right? The older brother showed up, and the bullies dispersed. That's what the end of the world is going to be like. When the older brother shows up and takes us to be back with him. It's a joyful hope. But... We gotta be honest, it's dreadful for the bully, right? It's not hope for the bully, it's the end of the game. Um, I'm gonna kind of run through it verse by verse. I'm not gonna read it because I'm just gonna touch on bits of it. But we are just gonna cover 2 Thessalonians 2 today, and then next week I'll do 2 Thessalonians 3, which is kind of Paul's concluding instructions. But all of this is the second letter to the Thessalonians, and there had been a first letter to the Thessalonians. So Paul is telling them all this again. 
But not only is he telling them again, he's telling them a third time because he visited them in person, which is why he wrote the letter and then he wrote the second letter. Okay? So, all the Thessalonians are scared. But they're not scared because the end of the world is coming. They think it came and they missed it. And they were left behind. Right? Um, this, this still happens today. I used to, a long time ago, I worked at Crossroads Christian Church on the far east side. And all the pastors would play basketball on Thursday mornings at 11. And it became a common thing that when they would put on their basketball clothes, they would put all of their dress clothes in their office chair, laid out fully, like they had been raptured and their clothes were left behind. Then all of us that were on staff that didn't play basketball, it was this is just a funny thing that we did. You would walk into their office and go, oh, no! And then everybody laughed, carry on. <laughs> well, I used to live in a house, and I had a roommate that was a youth pastor. And one night, we're all hanging out at our house, and I don't remember what happened, but we all jumped up and left. We left all the lights on. We left the radio on. We left the front door unlocked. One of his youth group kids comes over, which is common. Walks in the door, sees all of us gone. Radio on, door hanging open, lights. Poor kid went out to his car and cried and cried, thinking that he got left behind. We then went to our friend, the youth pastor. We said, you got to talk to him. He doesn't have to be afraid. 2 Thessalonians says, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. It hasn't happened yet. The Thessalonians were scared, just like that kid. Just like that kid was scared sitting in his car crying. He thought he got left. He didn't. He says in, in uh, Jesus, Jesus says, you'll know when it happens. This is in Matthew 24. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation, we'll get to that in a minute, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place. He, he, he talks about this thing. I just read the wrong line. How do you like that? 24, 26. If they say to you, if somebody says to you, look, Jesus has come back and he's in the wilderness. Don't go out there. If they say, look, he's in here in the inner room. Don't believe it. For just like lightning comes from the east and shines all the way to the west, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. Just like last night, we were so far away from fireworks. Like we were like way far away. We could see them clearly. There was no question they were going off the whole time we were driving home. When Jesus returns, it's going to be visible and obvious to everyone. There's not going to be a question. There's not going to be a, could this be it? Every once in a while, there's a sunset. Now we've got social media and people take, you know, there's this sunset that's just incredible. And people think, I wonder if that's the end of the world because this sunset is so amazing. There's not going to be any wonder. It's going to be, boom, You'll, you know that this is it. And it hasn't happened yet. And he reassures them with that again. 
And then he starts to say, and this is pretty weird, and I hadn't ever realized this before, that he starts to give them a list of things that are going to happen before the end of the world as we know it. That's what I should say, the end of the world as we know it. Before that happens. And he details it out to them so that as they're here, they can watch and see it happen. He says, first of all, this man of lawlessness is going to come. The man of lawlessness is not the devil. He's a man empowered by the devil. And he's going to come. And he's going to exalt himself. So he, he might do it through false humility. He might do it through blunt anti-humility, which I think is probably more the case. But he's going to exalt himself. And he's going to sit down in the temple. So at the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem, right now there's a mosque there. There's the Wailing Wall. You might have seen pictures of the Wailing Wall. At some point, the temple is going to be rebuilt there's going to be temple sacrifices happening again. The Jews are going to do sacrifices. And like good days will be here again for the Jewish people. And then this man of lawlessness is going to come and sit down in that temple. A lot of times uh, I, I was raised in the Catholic Church. I still have a lot of ties there. And sometimes that would come up in conversation and people would start carrying on about how the Pope is the Antichrist. And the big problem is that the Pope is in Rome, not in Jerusalem. So right there, that whole argument can just like go off the road. Um, it's not going to be like that. Because he's setting, the man of lawlessness is, is setting himself up in the temple. Now here's a wild and neat thing that actually happened in history. Uh, this line that I read earlier, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 15, he said, when the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel. So there's this ab abomination is something so offensive and just it's an abomination. It's just it's terribly offensive of desolation. Desolation is the opposite of life. Desolation is just waste. So some offensive waste is going to, that, that Daniel talked about is going to be standing in the holy place, in the temple. Jesus said, understand, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. What in the world does that mean? In the late 60s to 70 A.D., Rome had enough of the Jews. They were done. Game over. And so they went in and they completely and utterly destroyed the temple. They destroyed the temple with fire. Uh, Jesus talks about that not one stone would be left on another. And some of that was fulfilled in this. They, they burned the temple so hot that the gold that was in the stones melted and flowed out of the bottom. I mean, just total destruction. But in the midst of that, the Romans went in and offered unclean sacrifices in the temple just to desecrate and desolate the temple, the, the Jewish people. Millions of Jews were killed in Jerusalem when that happened by the Romans. 
Not one Christian. What? No Christians were killed in the destruction of Rome. Why? Because Jesus said, when you see the abomination that brings desolation in the temple, run. And they remembered that, and they did. And they actually fled to the mountains and escaped. Wild. The man of lawlessness is also going to proclaim himself to be God. He's not going to say he's a servant of God. He's not going to say he was sent from God. He is going to say flat out that he is God. So again, it's not going to be the Pope. We should have so little fear of the Pope. We should embrace him because he's awesome and he says good stuff. What we should be to keep our eye on are the, the kind of interfaith ideas that say all religions are the same, that are kind of molding them all together. Because if somebody can mold all the religions together into one, then they can be the boss of that one. And that's the guy that's going to say, I'm God. The man of lawlessness. Jesus talked about them. He said, there will be many that will come in my name and say, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. Every once in a while you hear about these on the news. There's some guy claiming to be Jesus down in Columbia or something. And all these people go down there, whatever. It happened more in the 70s. I don't know why it's slowing down now. It's a good thing. Um, but just like earlier, when, it, when Jesus comes back, you'll know it. It won't be a matter of, oh, he's over here and I need to get a plane ticket and go see him. Paul juts in here again. This is everything I already told you. As if he told them all these details when he was with them before. And then he says something really curious, and, and I don't have to convince you of this because you know it's true. He says, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work in the world. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So I'm working in my garden yesterday, and I'm weeding. And we have basil growing and onions growing. Okay? And I'm pulling weeds. And all of a sudden, what do I smell? Onions and basil. I didn't want to smell onions and basil, right? I want to smell dirt. I want to smell worms. I want to smell broken dandelions. I don't want to smell basil and onions. Because that means I did something wrong. In Matthew 13, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven. He says, he gave him another parable like this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping... The enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and they bore grain, the weeds appeared also. The servants of the master of the house came and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Nick and Paul come over. Didn't you plant basil and not dandelions? They didn't. How does it have weeds? Where did these come from? I asked myself that same question. Where did all these weeds come from? He said to them, an enemy has done this. This was not accidental. This was intentional. 
The weeds were put right in the midst of the wheat on purpose. So the servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no. Otherwise, in gathering the weeds, you'll root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. In that parable, and in the context of that parable, God is so merciful, and God cares about us so much, that He will not stomp out evil once and for all, because of the mercy that he shows towards the wheat. Because he cares about the wheat so much. If I was gardening yesterday, the way Jesus t- talks about this in the parable, I would be watering all that grass, all that crab grass, and uh, I don't know what it's called, the grass that grows real long and puts down another root and another root and another root. I would water that right along next to my onions. I'd spread compost right on top of that grass, right next to my onions. If I was doing the way the Lord does. It says in Proverbs, God lets rain fall on the righteous and the wicked. Why? Because God doesn't want to destroy His people in the midst of the weeds. You know why else? Once sometimes we look at it, and we think somebody's a weed, Lord, I wish you would just weed that person out. I'll stand back. Just take care of it, Lord. Take care of him. It's because somebody could have said that about me the day before I got saved. And I thank the Lord I didn't get weeded out the day before I believed in Jesus. And none of us knows when that's going to happen, right? None of us is the judge of that. So let it grow. It'll all get sorted out in the end. Then here's something that's just wild. So the man of lawlessness is going to be here. The man of lawlessness will set himself up in the temple. He will proclaim himself to be God. Um, He is going to, I'm going to skip around a little bit from 2 Thessalonians. He is going to have miraculous powers and lead people away from the truth, it says. I was talking to some people, and um, some people think that if it's a miracle, it has to be evil because of this verse. Because it says that the, the man of lawlessness is going to come, and he's going to have power to do miracles and lead people away from the truth. And all I can think is, if you think miracles are evil, you must have the most miserable prayer life. Because everything you're asking God to do, when He does it, you'll think it's evil. See, there's a difference between having powers to deceive people. The man of lawlessness is going to be able to work miracles and to have power. It's a completely other thing When miracles happen and people praise Jesus. When people praise Jesus for a miracle, if you have any logic at all thinking in your head that the devil caused that miracle, wouldn't the devil stop? And he doesn't. 
It's got to be from God. God still works miracles, still has works of power to lead people in truth, to lead people in life. And this says that uh, the man of lawlessness will work, will work miracles in the name of unrighteousness. There will be some sort of work of power. And, and I mean, people have speculated, but it's all just speculation. But there will be some kind of miracles that happen that aren't good. That people will see them and they'll be like, some people will be led away, led astray from the truth and like that miracle. And the people that know the Lord will think, I know that's a miraculous act, but that doesn't seem right. There will be something off. Other wild thing I got to say here is that God doesn't work miracles on people that are deserving. It's a trick statement. God doesn't work miracles on people that are deserving because none of us are deserving. God works miracles on people for His own reasons, for His own knowledge. There are wicked people that have miraculous healings and there are righteous, good, upright people that are dying. And we can't explain that. And, we, and I'll tell you what, it goes back to the weeds. It's just like we don't know what the weeds are. And I'm not saying the weed people don't get healed. I'm saying God has a plan that is so much bigger than ours. So much huger. So much giganticer. Yeah, those are all words. He knows. He knows who he's healing. He knows who he's working in and he knows why he's doing it. And we can never get rid. That's where the deception is. The deception, and I'm not saying the man of lawlessness deception, but where we get deceived is thinking somebody didn't get healed and they deserve it. And so-and-so got healed and they don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. It's all grace. And that's a, a lovely, awesome gift. He works according to his plan, not according to our great deeds. Hallelujah. Hallelujah for his great plan. So the man of lawlessness will be here. He'll be doing all the stuff. He'll be calling himself God. He'll be living in Jerusalem. He'll, he'll have all, all different religions of the world worshiping him. And then Jesus will bring him to nothing. Guess how? You guys ever seen what happens to a dead flashlight? No, we'll say a good flashlight on a sunny day. If I have a flashlight in the middle of the night, you will all crowd around me. You'll be like, oh, that guy's got a flashlight. Good. It is dark in here. In the middle of the day, the sun comes up. You don't even know I have a flashlight. You don't even know it's there. I mean, like, what are you doing? <laughs> right? It says that Jesus will destroy the man of lawlessness just by appearing. Jesus, there's not a fight. There is not a war. There is not a struggle. Jesus does not sweat. 
Jesus' blood pressure does not change and his pulse doesn't vary. Jesus appears and the man of lawlessness is destroyed. That fast. How glorious is it that we are not, we are free from the law and we are not lawless. I don't have time to go into all that, but I want you to meditate on that this week. We're not, we're not, we, we, we don't have a law. We don't live by a law. But not because we're lawless, but because we're free from the law. The lawless person knows what the law is and is afraid of it, but runs from it. The lawless person is, is me when I was young, driving 100 miles an hour through Tennessee, one eye on my rearview mirror and one eye out the front window, hoping I didn't get a ticket. That's lawless. There's a law, and I'm trying to get away from it. Free from the law. I have no fear. Right now, you ready? This might come as a shock to you. Right now, standing here, I have no fear of getting a speeding ticket from a Tennessee state trooper. It's just not going to happen. I'm completely free from that law right now. I'm not even in that world. Take that one to go. Last bit of 2 Thessalonians 2. Paul says all this stuff about the end of the world as we know it. The man of lawlessness. These horrible things that are going to happen. There's a bunch of stuff that he says, and I didn't go there today. But all of Matthew 24 is Jesus talking about this stuff. And it all ties into the stuff that Paul talks about. But at the end, Paul says, I am thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for how the Holy Spirit is moving in your lives. And I'm thankful that you love the truth. You know what? The end of the world isn't the big deal. This is just some little topic that we're talking about. But the real thing is, I am happy and thankful for God's work in your lives and your love for the truth. Yeah, that was the big topic. Yeah, we spent most of the day talking about that. Yeah, that's the bulk of the middle chapter of this letter. But the thing I'm really thankful for is that the Holy Spirit is at work in you and you love the truth. He says, stand firm and keep acting like Christians. Keep following Jesus. Stand firm. And if you read Matthew 24, you'll see there's a whole bunch of horrible stuff that you need to stand firm through. He says, remember your traditions, the words you were taught, and our letters. How do you like that? So Paul comes and visits with them one time, and that one time was enough to establish a couple traditions with them. Like I said, we do traditions to remember a real thing, right? It's not that the tradition's bad. The tradition's bad when we forget why in the heck we're doing that. Tradition's good. Keep doing it. Keep doing that thing and remember why you did it. Remember the words that we taught you. And read these letters. Remember the letters again. I know Dave's been talking about just the, the power of these written letters. You know, they could have rewritten. Paul, 
Paul could have edited these things to make it just right. It's not like a guy standing up here talking. Paul was able to craft these things and look at them and make sure that he had them just say exactly what he wanted them to say. So that gives it even more value for us to read it. Because it was intent, intentional. And then, the very last thing he says is that eternal comfort and good hope establish all of our good works and our words. Eternal comfort and good hope. I mentioned last week that everything that's sad will be made untrue. Every struggle we have will be made right and made good. Everything will be resolved. And let that hope establish all of our good works and our words. If I'm walking down my street and a car pulls up next to me and somebody dumps their entire McDonald's combo meal garbage out the window onto the street into my front yard. <laughs> right? If I have the eternal comfort and the good hope, I better talk nice to this guy because he might have the bunk next to me in heaven for eternity. Right? And I do not want to spend the first 10,000 years in heaven of him saying, do you remember that time you cussed me out for all that garbage I threw in your yard? Oh man, what a day. I don't think it's going to be like that at all. But... How does it change our eternal hope? How does it change our good works and our words if everybody we talk to might be somebody that we spend eternity with in joy and in peace and in celebration? In what the guy that came here and robbed the, the church was robbed this week. Um, Whatever it was, that, whatever need that that guy was trying to supply, what happens when in the kingdom of heaven, he is there and every one of his needs is supplied because he was sitting in a jail cell and he called out to Jesus? Whoa. What about in terms of racial reconciliation? If every, every skin color that we're prejudiced against has the bunks all around us in heaven, Worshiping the Lord in glory and in purity and in just fantastical beauty. Would we treat people different here now? What about every 13-year-old that gets our order wrong at Burger King? I could go on. You can tell I deal with anger a lot, right? How about if I pray and uh, let's just think about, think about these things and then, and then we'll sing a song. Lord, we praise you that you will have victory over the man of lawlessness. And we praise you, Lord, that even though lawlessness is at work in the world right now, that you will win just by appearing. You will win. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us to call all of this hope to mind, that the eternal comfort and the good hope would establish all of our words and all of our activities this week. That you would just deepen our realization of the, the sufferings and the trials that we go through, the bad stuff that we see on the news will all be taken away in the blink of an eye and everything will be made right. And we look forward to that day, Lord. Amen.